Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, huge news to talk about, both international and at home. We're excited to bring back our friend Trigby Olson to discuss the latest on Ukraine. Hey, Trig. Plus, we'll get to the Supreme Court news and what everything means for the pro-democracy coalition we're all building together. Trigby, welcome. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be on. So, you know, this, we, I should say, like, you know, folks, we, you know, Alex is, you know, co-host the show with me and, it, you know, I've thought about maybe it should be the trippy, that trippy and Alex show, but that kind of screws up the whole that trippy show thing. So, Alex, sorry, it's got to keep going this way, but uh, well, what, do, what do you have up for us today? Because they, they sound so alike. It works great. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we, we've been working on trying to get a show together, uh, called Trippy and Trigvi, you know, Democracy on the Rocks, where we can talk more about things like we're going to talk about today and sort of the whole uh, autocratic movement worldwide. But so if you like uh, what you hear today, uh, you know, let us know and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll be able to get uh, that spun off as a Lincoln Project show that we've been working on. Um, anyway, go ahead, Alex. I'm sorry to keep interrupting. So Trig. While Joe's been talking, there's been a ton of developments in Ukraine. We wanted, <laughs> we wanted to have you on today, just to, given all your experience, especially in Eastern Europe, and it's Bulgaria, some of the other countries you've worked, Belarus, excuse me, some of the other countries you've worked in and globally. Can you just give like a summary first for our listeners? What is going on in Ukraine right now? So, I, well, first of all, um, one of the things that kind of drives me nuts in the coverage is, you know, Russia invaded Ukraine in 2014 and took back Crimea. So this is all part of a long game. But I think there's a bigger game going on here, too. And, and some of this is classic autocrat. So Vladimir Putin is getting older. Time is something that gets catches up with all of us, right? And there's no clear plan of succession. And that's true with most autocrats because they eliminate anybody who could be a threat to their power. And you've had over the course of in Ukraine, the first election I was involved with there uh, was the original colored revolution when Viktor Yushchenko was poisoned and he was running against Yanukovych and ultimately prevailed. Yanukovych eventually came back with the help of Paul Manafort. And then in 2014, ended up having to flee to Moscow after basically they just pillaged the country. Ukrainians, younger Ukrainians certainly, view themselves as an independent country, separate from Russia. I think that's troubling to Putin. They are they want to be part of Europe. They want to be economically prosperous. And all of these are a threat to Putin because ultimately, like all autocrats, whether and head tops of illiberal verticals, they have to demonstrate that they're inevitable, they're invincible, and they use fear to do that. And we've been seeing that in the United States with the illiberal movement too, Joe. We, we talk about that all the time. So, you know, what he's doing here, I think, he's trying to divide the West. I believe he understands that domestically America is divided. And when the United States is divided, it creates lots of space to create divisions 
amongst our European allies. He understands that amongst our European allies, those that were once occupied by the Russians, like the Baltic states, those that were part of the Warsaw Pact and occupied and de facto occupied, that they are passionate about Ukraine and what's going on there. They also, he also understands, you know, economic integration into Germany and some of the traditional Western allies yeah. is different from how the Eastern European allies see things and, and we're divided. And you're seeing that on Tucker Carlson every night. And that's creating divisions in terms of how we respond. I mean, if you listen to the far right ecosystem here in the U.S., they're blaming Biden for the crisis, not Vladimir Putin. Yeah. Not Putin. It's a no. Yeah. When you see Tucker and so much of the right pushing, you know, a pro Putin, pro Russia uh, talking point. So, I mean, so much that even the Russians are starting to be embarrassed about it or talking about being embarrassed about it. It's pretty it's pretty incredible. But, you, you know, Trigvi, I was on the ground in Ukraine post the Crimea, you know, takeover. And you could see exactly what you're saying. The young people were, you know, fiercely saw the country's independent and 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 wanted to tilt big time to Europe. But isn't that what it is? I mean, I'm sorry, I think you put your finger on it. You know, Putin can't can't deal with that at all. Can't it's just not something he could deal with. But at the same time, when you look at how dependent Germany is on energy from Russia, it, you get sort of that your idea of sort of divide a you know di take take advantage of the division in the United States. Take it take advantage of the way you could divide some of our allies uh, uh, or at least create you know schism there or or an inability to to agree on what on how to handle this. Is, is that in your view make some sense out of Biden's response? I think Biden's response, I mean, Biden's Biden, the Biden administration has a set of Hobson's choices in some ways, right? Because Putin ultimately controls the strings of what Putin does. And so really all what right. the Biden administration and the West more broadly can do is, you know, provide carrots and sticks. And there's a little bit of additional uncertainty that's derived from uh, Merkel's leaving the stage. And I, I had the chance to get to know her a little bit um, at one point, at least spend an afternoon uh, with her. And I'll tell you, I mean, she's an incredibly powerful figure. And, you know, the current German government is not, is new and they're, they're less secure and they're also left-leaning in a kind of difficult coalition that's divided on Russia. But the Biden response, I think, has been pretty strong. And I, and I will tell you, I know you know this, Joe and Alex, but, you know, because I, I tell this story periodically, but your listeners wouldn't. When I was working with Belarusians and Russians and people across that region, and I would bring them to the U.S., um, there were two members of Congress I could always count on to try and personally meet with them. And if they couldn't, they sent their most senior people. And those two people were John McCain and Joe Biden. So, and so Biden knows the region. Tony Blinken would be in the meetings when Biden was chair of Senate Foreign Relations. They get it. And um, 
we should feel good about that. What we need to be troubled about, though, is our domestic political divide is making that really hard. And, you know, even back as far as Obama, the Obama administration, there was no question amongst Republicans and Democrats. I mean, when Crimea was invaded, sanctions were put in place. And in fact, at the start of the Trump administration, one of the things they're trying to recreate is that somehow Trump was tough on Russia. He wanted to get rid of those sanctions. And it was Paul Ryan and the Republicans in Congress who codified it so that he couldn't revoke them. Yeah. Well, I mean, we also had the the perfect phone call and other things that 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 uh, that Trump uh, 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 was doing during all this. Uh, but look, look, you know, looking at what we've been talking about, the sort of the right wing, you know, Tucker and you know Trump, literally reciting the words of 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 Stalin when he talks about uh, you know it doesn't matter who who votes, it matters who counts the votes. I mean, sort of crossover of the autocratic movements. Uh, that, that you know from Putin and, and and showing up here, and how sympathetic the 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 radical Trump side has, including Tucker, uh, have become to Russia's talking points. You know it's clearly working to some extent. How do we combat that? Uh, what, what's the best way to push back against this or to get the get those here in America, understanding why what's happening in Ukraine is just furthering the threat even here, if I'm making any sense there for that question. Yeah, no, you are. I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before we went online. I think a couple of things are happening. Um, One, you know, I'm 54 and the Cold War ended when I was in college. So I remember it a little bit. I remember going into the hall as a kid and we'd prepare for nuclear war by ducking under our desks as if that would have done much. But we have an entire generation and there's there's big distinctions in the polling between them, between those who really came of age post-1990 and the world we've had for the last 30 years and what life was like during the Cold War. and. I think that ends up impacting the domestic politics of all of this. And we have to remind people, because we haven't had that kind of threat, it's a different way of thinking. And the truth of the matter is, I was talking to a, a really a giant of US foreign policy and certainly policy towards Russia recently. And he reminded me that you know, if we think about the Cold War, we had lots of troops in Germany, but if the Warsaw Pact had wanted to run over us, they would have run over those Americans. Um, But what those Americans were was a tripwire because they were there because it would create an understanding for the Russians. If they did that, it meant mutually assured destruction because the American people wouldn't stand for 50,000 dead American troops and Russian tanks rolling across Europe. And so it was it was those two pieces. I think you know Putin is in a hard spot in the sense that he has two choices. He can double down and start a war in which case domestically he can claim all the things he wants to claim but it's going to come with a lot of consequences and it 
you know, once you start a war, it's easy to start a war. It's hard to stop one. Or he can back down and then he ends up looking. You know, it's hard for him to save face. Right. So right. that's what makes this situation so dangerous. I think Biden is handling it well. But I also think what what this is going to mean is that 30 year period has ended and we're probably going to have to create some tripwires. And if he does go in and we probably should do that anyway, which means American troops in the Baltics and in some of the Eastern European countries like Poland. I also think it means that that countries like Sweden and Finland, we need to have real diplomacy with them about do they want to choose to become a part of NATO? The narrative, though, from Putin's perspective, at a minimum, he's creating a huge conversation about all of these things. And he's it's shaping a post 30 years of American dominance world to a different one. And that probably started way before with Trump's election. Well, and, and Trigby, it's a good it's a good reminder that I mean, th- this kind of brings into focus all that noise that Trump was making about whether NATO should even still exist now, making big kind of making a big stink about who is paying their dues or not, and essentially for years trying to almost delegitimize it. It makes a lot more sense now if you if you put it in the context you just described. Well, I can, and I think this has been reported publicly. I, I've never talked about it, but when he was interviewed at the Republican convention in 2016, and he called into question Article 5 of NATO, I talked to one of the reporters who was there and right after, almost immediately. And, you know, he was given five opportunities to roll that back because at the end of the day, Article 5, which is common defense, is the cornerstone foundation of the security alliance that we've had since the end of the Cold War. And he had five opportunities. He did not, they let, they tried to give him a chance to walk it back. He didn't do that. Then you look at what transpired at the convention in the Republican platform where the language on NATO and providing them lethal defense weapons, the javelins that are now currently being sent there, um, was removed from the platform, right? There was a lot right. of, for people like myself, who'd spent a lot of time in that region, there was a lot of weird stuff. And where was Paul Manafort right then? I can't remember where yeah. he was, or what campaign he might've been involved in. I know where he is now. <laughs> yes, yeah. we know where he is now. You know, Trey, I don't want to interrupt your, your train of thought, but part of it, let's, it's a couple of things. One, you know, Putin's already claiming that any movement of anything is, a, you know, more of a threat. So the more, it, it, even if NATO did start to deploy or the U.S. did uh, tripwires and things like that, you know, that could could backfire uh, in the moment. Because as you, you've pointed out, aging autocrats are often you know, the most dangerous, right? They're, they're running out of time. They're, they're, they're desperately trying to hang on to power as long as they can. And they, and threats, you know, appear out of everywhere for, right. for them. How, so using that logic, where, where do you see the, what, what, how does this end up? Uh, I know there's no way to really see that, but I'm just sort of, what's your, what, what do you foresee knowing what you know about Putin and the region? 
I mean, it's hard to say what he's going to do. As I said earlier, he's in a box, right? Because he either has to double down or back down. We have to figure out, and this is the art of diplomacy, how he can have a win in some way, but stay within our values and what we stand for and, and the, the commitments that we've made to our allies. That's a real delicate diplomatic balance. Um, and here's the other thing. If Putin backs down, and this is the, the where the division in the US comes into it, Joe, if Putin, if Putin's given a win, you know what Tucker and all those people are going to pivot to. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. If 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 you successfully deal with this diplomatically in a way that look that that offers uh Putin an off-ramp. Then, then they're going to come after Biden uh, for failing and uh, for being weak and all that other good stuff. You, you know that 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 you know that they're going to push. On the other hand, I don't know. Maybe maybe Tucker and and, and would just cheer dear leader. There's you know Putin and Trump on. I, I but I do think yeah. It it sounds to me like if if he does offer some kind of if diplomatically Blinken and them come up with a way to give Putin a successful off ramp uh, where he has a, a a moment in the sun that that is going to be used to divide this country even further. Yeah, there's no doubt it will become a political battering ram. And they will try and say, look at how weak he was. And they're already trying to revise. Right. But, you know, it's one of the things, you know, they're illiberal actors. And I talk about this in, in, in the op-ed that I put out in the seven rules of dealing with the liberalism and autocrats, right? They don't, they don't want to live in the past or the future. They're, they're just living in the moment. And so they're going to say whatever they have to say in that moment. Um, it's our job as those who are on the pro-democracy side, and, and it needs to be part of what we do as a pro-democracy coalition, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, or somewhere in between, is we have to be reminding people of that past and projecting into, into the future to confront it, because that's where their kryptonite lies. Trigvi, you mentioned some of the other Eastern European countries, and if you and, and the Cold War, you go back, you look at some of the the prominent anti-communist revolutions, and and what the Soviet Union's response was. It was pretty pretty overwhelming force consistently. You look at what happened in Ukraine, in Hungary, in Poland. You know, you remember everyone remembers those tank images, the Czech Republic. What are there any common threads you see from some of that kind of resistance and? what the Soviet response was to today in Ukraine and what we could potentially project out to be a Russian response? That's a great question, Alex. So there's a couple of differences because you can't compare the Soviet Union then to Russia today. I mean, the reality is Russia has an economy the size of Italy's. Militarily, you know, are they equipped now, particularly with the modernization they've been doing, to invade Ukraine and, and create a lot of mayhem? Absolutely. Are they in a position to occupy Ukraine the way that the Russians basically did in Hungary or Czech Republic? Probably not. And some of that has to do with 
you know, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, if you go to Ukraine, younger Ukrainians, they also have lived 30 years in a post-Cold War environment. And while they've been struggling, they've been winning that battle for democracy and, and those values, European values is the way they would put it, for a while. And so the capacity and the direct comparison between the two is a little different. I also think that when you look at Belarus or and the events that happened there with you know hundreds of thousands of people coming to the streets after the elections when Lukashenko tried to steal them, what you're seeing in Ukraine is, you know, they're they're far less afraid. And and what Putin is doing to some degree is trying to amp that fear up even more. Now it's you do what I say or I'll kill you. I don't know if it's going to prevail. I, I, I think therein lies another danger is that he doubles down, he goes in and you starts it becomes a bigger threat to his inevitability and invincibility because you the costs are a lot greater than what they're estimating they will be. And that too is a threat. I think the other issue I didn't discuss this, but I think the other issue as we look at what's going on with Putin is, you know, countries use war or threats of war to achieve political objectives. But when we look back on the Cold War and the idea of of nuclear kind of confrontation, it has to do with countries would only use them, at least theory goes, if they face an existential threat to the country's existence. One of the dangers with Putin is, I think he views himself, and this is warped, but I think he views himself as the state. And hence, you know, that's another challenge that the Biden administration has. If Putin feels like he's threatened, does he view that as an existential threat to the state? And who are the, who are the people around that can prevail the state is bigger than you, if that makes sense. So, you know, to your question, I think it's going to be, they may be calculating that it's just like in the Soviet Union, because Putin is, you know, he's an ex-KGB apparatchik who views the Soviet Union as the greatest thing to happen because he mattered and his country mattered, and he'd like that back. But the world has changed dramatically. And quite frankly, this whole conflict to some degree is about how much individually people in places like Ukraine have changed. And Joe, you know, you talked about going into Kiev after 2014. I was there, I think the last time, maybe like 2016, 17. It's amazing when you go to Kiev. There's a vibrance and energy of young people it's amazing. No, no, it completely is. And we 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 may have been around the same time. I just didn't know it. But uh, uh, no, it's it's absolutely amazing. It's also amazing how, um, to me, how they kind of get what what Putin's doing. I mean, you know, they, they were obviously they're very aware of what's happening, but but are not. But they don't have a lot of angst about it. It's like we will if if. If it happens, we will fight. I mean, there's a kind of real, um, uh, you, you know, a, a strength 
in the face of, you know, a lot of places, you, you know, would be you'd you'd sense fear. Mm-hmm. You just I'd never sensed that um, the entire time. I was No, there. and it's 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 interesting, given how much we've let fear and how afraid segments of America yeah, are. Exactly. And here you have people who are facing real threat. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands, hundred thousand troops right. on their border. You know, you know, I mean, you go to captured Russian tanks or put on display, you know, in the in the square. It's a totally different. uh, There is it's it's just a complete contrast. There is no fear there when you think there'd be tons of fear. And then you look at the fear mongering that Tucker and others do here and obviously Trump and how how it's received and replicated and amplified. It's just amazing. Well, and that's a, a good way to segue to briefly uh, to talk about the union. Uh, you know, we've been, Trigby, Alex, myself, and others at LP, at Lincoln Project, uh, and, and reaching out to group after group out there, have been trying to create an organization, not an organization, but a place where people can sign up and become active and use their skills and talents to fight all this domestically here in the United States in the 2022 election. It's called uh, jointheunion.us. You can all go check that out. We'll put it in the show notes. But what it really is about is exactly what what Trigby just said, putting past differences aside, joining as uh, Republicans, former Republicans, independents and Democrats across party lines and across ideology with one issue and only one issue in mind, protecting democracy protecting our union, our republic, and our democracy. And if you're interested in that, and we sure hope you are, because we're only going to beat this back with a a massive, from the ground up uh, uh, movement, uh, pro-democracy coalition uh, that that fights here, but also takes action and moves messaging when we see things like what's happening right now with Tucker and, and Putin and the Russian talking points. And we'll we'll shout out a few people. I, we've gotten a ton of emails back. I think this is probably the most emailed thing we've gotten, Joe, for what it's worth, even after some of those big predictions you made earlier this year. But a ton of you have already signed up. We really appreciate it. Obviously, everyone needs to. But thank you, everyone who's already sent some great emails. We'll try to get back to those as soon as we can. But go ahead, Trig. Sorry. Yeah. And, and please, please, uh, please do. Tell your friends about it. Find one neighbor, one coworker, one one friend, and ask them to join the union.us. One of the great things about it, and one of my favorite parts about you and I, Joe and Alex, talking is from our international experiences. One of the things you discover quite quickly is when you go to a place like Ukraine, um, is that success in defeating illiberalism and the forces of tyranny that we're going up against is the willingness of people to set aside, bring whatever they bring to the table in terms of skills and talents, set aside all the other pieces of disagreement so that that you can come together and confront the illiberalism that you're facing. And it's amazing to see that happening in the US. You know, my daughter is selling Girl Scout cookies And I went over to the parents' house where they were distributing them. And my daughter had her Lincoln Project sweatshirt on, her hoodie. And the 
the father came up to me and said, you know, I'm, or I heard you're part of the Lincoln project. He's like, I've been, I've been signing up for all these groups. And, and I heard that you guys are, are working with a bunch of them to try and bring them together. And he was from the left. And I said, yeah, I said, but we're not trying to bring them in as an umbrella. And he's like, no, he's like, we just got to all find a way to get together. And yeah. I thought, you know, he's like, I'm just a, an average guy. Yeah. He works as a, a, a mechanic or something, but he, he totally got it. And, and that made me feel so good. And I said that to yeah. him, it's like, this is how we, this is how we win. Yeah. That's how we're going to do it. That's how you've got to stop waiting for, I mean, look, there are a lot of people doing things out there that we're not, you know, we don't know what or how, you know, Garland, et cetera, the justice department, who, who knows, but we can't wait or wait for the filibuster to get, you know, to, to get reformed. Uh, we all have to come together now uh, and stop this uh, wherever we can. And, 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 and counter program counter you know counter the disinformation counter the out the the outrage machine um, and out organize them um, in 2022 and if we all can put look you, you know uh, we can all get talk, debating marginal tax rates and all kinds of other uh, other things uh, uh, that you and I may not agree on but the first thing we all have to agree on is that putting our democracy and saving it is is the most important thing so we can actually get on to having that what you know what this whole thing is really about what democracy is really about is people with different opinions uh in different views learning to share their country together and find a way to move uh, to, to make it a more perfect union that's what it's always For been sure. about we're running low on time, but we, we can't leave without at least mentioning the other big news domestically this week. We had a good reader question from Jamie in California about uh, Stephen Breyer's retirement. Uh, Joe Trigg, what is Democrats' best outcome here with this SCOTUS vacancy, and, and how do they get there? Well, look, I think it's pretty clear this is going to be uh, speedy. I mean, it's going to happen pretty quickly. Uh, I think Biden is going to obviously fulfill his promise of nominating a black woman to the court. I think it'll be along the same speed as Amy Comey Barrett's uh, 30 days, I think it took uh, from the nomination to confirmation. Uh, I think it'll be that kind of, of, of a, a speedy confirmation fight. Um, you know, not they can't we can't afford to let uh, McConnell drag this, you know, draw out the process and it, I think what's fascinating to me, Trig, uh, chime in here, but it's actually pretty cool because two of the the potential picks uh, of uh, of Biden right now are U.S. Circuit Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. She's fifty one, and she's been on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit, it, and and by the way, has been recently confirmed for that post. So that, you know, Senate confirmed, I mean, and there, so she's got a, a real, it'd be very tough to block her. Uh, but the other one, California Supreme Court Justice Leandra Kruger, 45, uh, a former clerk for the late Supreme Court Justice Paul Stevens. But here's the, the cool thing, appointed by Jerry Brown. And you know, sometimes you, you sit back and these are the top two. There are other other really strong candidates, but you sometimes you sit, sit back and you win an election in 2010 and help uh, someone like Jerry Brown become governor of California again. And you get to wake up one day in 2022 and see that 
that, that he is the person who elevated Leandra Kruger to the potential possibility of being a Supreme Court justice at the age of 45 is it, it does put a smile on your face. So it puts put, put, put one on mine. So, so Trig, what do you what do you think about all this? So I think the politics of it on the Republican side, I'll just talk about the Republican side because um, sure. That probably be, be most interesting. I think the politics on the, the Republican side are going to be interesting in the sense that you're going to have the people who are sort of <laughs> the asshat caucus that don't want anybody that doesn't agree with them on the Supreme Court. So you got like the Ted Cruz's and the Mike Lee's. They're going to do their thing. They're going to do their thing in part to try and whip up people on the left to say stuff that then they can use to go back to Republicans and say, look at how extremist this is. More important though, they're, and they're gonna do what they do. The key thing for Democrats, I think, is to not take the bait. More important though, the Murkowskis, right. the Collinses, I think they're probably gonna be there, uh, I would guess. Um, it will be interesting to see what Lindsey Graham will do. The one person that I think is fascinating is Bill Cassidy, and he should be watched. He's retiring, but he's talking about running for governor of Louisiana. If he runs for governor of Louisiana, he likely will find himself as the centrist candidate with a far right candidate on the other side where he needs African-American support to keep somebody really crazy right. from getting elected. So it's going to be interesting to see. And I think it's going to create for even like the Mitch McConnell's of the world, a little bit of a, a challenge because there are places where they're trying to navigate you know, having candidates who are acceptable in general elections, being able to navigate that. And Cassidy would be an example. I think the other thing is the other ones who are retiring, you know, they're going to be the ones who are most likely to go with this. You know, I think at the end of the day, Democrats stick together and they're probably going to have enough additional, a few oh. additional Republican votes that Biden will get through whoever he needs to get through. Well, Biden will get through whoever he needs to get through, because on the Democratic side, and this is, I think, kind of interesting, and I think maybe a, a moment for people to step back and realize how this really, you know, why banging away on Manchin or Cinema uh, because of, you know, because you disagree, they're, they're been intransient on voting rights, and, and, and we should. But, you know, the, the fact is that, that, that McConnell would be the majority leader right now. If either one of them were not in the in, in the Senate, uh, they will be there uh, on this vote. There will be a Supreme Court justice guaranteed appointed by Biden because of the 50 seats we hold, uh, including Manchin and, and, and Cinema. And I, so I think, you know, there is this the, I, I think part of what needs to happen on both sides uh, and this isn't both sides do it kind of stuff. It, but particularly in the Democratic uh, uh, division between moderates, centrists, and, and progressives, is we have to be a big tent party that pulls in. We've got to win outside of progressive areas of the country. And so, uh, and there's a reason that Joe Manchin, we may not agree with him on a lot, but he is there. And, and at moments like this, at critical moments like this, may be the deciding vote, the vote that, that that get, gives uh, Joe Biden uh, an appointee uh, for decades that will really matter. 
I think the one other thought that I would have as a as a Republican, former Republican, I guess, party left me, not the other way around. And I'm sure if there's anybody from the Biden administration who's listening, and they probably know this, you know, they need to prepare themselves for a complete relitigation of Robert Bork and Biden yeah. and what he said and what Mark Gittenstein was doing as as his staff director, because that's coming. And it's it's going to be it, they're going to yeah. be putting it out there as the shiny object. Like they need to get their answers on that and what they're going to say and then just stick to it um, because that's coming for sure. I think that's all the time we've got, uh, Trig uh, and Alex. Uh, you know, Trig, thanks a lot for being with us today. Thanks for listening, everybody, to that trippy show. Uh, we'll be back next week. Just a reminder, we all have work to do to protect our democracy. If you're listening, you need to be part of the pro-democracy coalition. Go to jointheunion.us and tell us how you can help now. Then please do invite one friend or neighbor, coworker to join us. Don't forget, please subscribe to that trippy show. Ask others to join us. Leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And please do share it with a friend. You can always send us a question to that trippy show at gmail.com or leave us a question in a review on iTunes. See you next time. Thanks again, Trig. And now, a special motorcycle weather report from Progressive. And today's forecast, expect a steady breeze with a 100% chance of twisting down those country back roads gleefully on your motorcycle. Some will want you, others will want to be you, and animals everywhere will yearn for opposable thumbs just to work that throttle like you do. <laughs> On nature's cruel design. That's your forecast, back to you. This has been a special motorcycle weather report from Progressive, where every day's a beautiful day to ride with 24-7 roadside assistance from America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Roadside assistance subject to policy terms and limits and may require comprehensive coverage.